This episode is brought to you by Summer School Electronics. With pedals like the Snow Day Delay, the Pep Rally Fuzz, the Trash Panda, and my personal favorite, the Science Fair, which is two classic dirt pedals in one with a mid-boosted overdrive on one side, a black lab rat circuit on the other, and a blend knob to blend between them to find the perfect classic stacked dirt sound you're looking for, it's hard not to find something you'll love. Mark builds all of his pedals by hand in Syracuse, New York, where he also works as a full-time educator. In addition to the super fun graphics on their pedals, Mark also offers custom artwork. Want your dog's face on a pedal? He can do it. Want your face on a pedal? He can make that happen too. Go over to summerschoolelectronics.com and make sure to tell them that 40 Watt Podcast sent you. 40 Waters, welcome to Season 2 of the 40 Watt Podcast. I'm super excited this season to bring you more guests, more uh, musicians, touring, uh, both touring and studio musicians, songwriters, more gear makers, gear heads, other people that we know in and around the industry, and hear from them, hear their takes, hear their experiences. I'm ready for that to happen, and I hope you are too. It's going to be a great season as we head into 2022. A um, couple of things before we kick off this episode. Uh, really appreciate all of you that have gone out and followed on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, um, Twitter. Those of you that interacted, joined the community, joined in the live uh, streams that I've started doing on Sunday nights on Instagram. Um, those of you that have gone to the website, shared us with your friends, rated and reviewed on uh, both on Spotify Apple Music on YouTube. I can't tell you how much it means to me. Uh, especially, I want to say thank you to all of my Patreon supporters. Uh, you guys make this happen. Y'all make this really a lot of fun. If you want to find a way to support the podcast, here's how you can do it. There's some great ways you can do it. One, simply tell your friends about the podcast. Share the podcast with others. Get other people in this 40 water environment community that we started to build. If you want to get involved in a little more way, you can go over to patreon.com slash 40 watt podcast, where for uh, as little as $3 a month, you can support the podcast, help make this show happen. Know that you're helping me cut some of the overhead costs that doing this podcast costs me. For $5 a month, you will get an extra episode every week of the podcast. That's more interviews, more gear reviews, more insights into the music industry for $5 a month. Um, I, I can't tell you how much that absolutely means to me. There's other tiers you can go on up from there. There's um, You can go up into the stratosphere up to the point that I'll give you guitar, music, keyboard, singing. And don't, you don't want singing lessons from me, but I'll give you lessons. We'll talk music theory. You'll get some of my time every month. Um, so go over to the website, 40wattpodcast.com. Go to Patreon, patreon.com slash 40 Watt Podcast. You can find all the links, all the information there. And I'm really excited to get in this season. Enjoy the show. Waters, welcome back. New episode. So it's been a few weeks. Uh, tried to figure out some things. I've got some some new systems in place that hopefully things are going to be more consistent for the rest of season two. I sure appreciate your patience uh, as we are working t- through this season. Really excited about some upcoming guests. I'm really excited about the guest today. Um, first, I want to thank uh, I, last month I got three brand new Patreon supporters and I don't have your names in front of me. That is my fault, but I have messaged all of you. Thank you for your support. I really, really appreciate it. Helping make this podcast happen, um, covers a lot of the overhead, uh, that, that this podcast cost me. So in the, uh, in the meantime, this week I am talking to Trey with retroactive pedals. How you doing? I'm doing just fine. How are you? Thanks for having I'm me. I'm good. I'm good. So we actually met last uh, June, Summer Nam at Grant's house. Yep. Yeah. Grant's so, house, uh, Grant, pizza party. Bigger Pedals. Nam. Yep. Grant, Bigger Pedals, pizza party uh, for Summer Nam. I think that was, uh, I think Winter Nam had been canceled right before, right? And then, yeah. so people kind of were coming out of their 
you know, hiding places for the to, the summer name in Nashville. And um, Blake for the Tone Mob was also there, I think, right before that. And I think we did the Nashville episode for Tone Mob. And, oh, yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. Because Blake wasn't there for Summer Nam. He was there exactly. just because of String Joy. Yeah. And so, yeah, that was really my first introduction into meeting a little bit more um, podcasting and YouTubers and stuff. I remember um, 60 Cycle Home, Ryan was there. Um, mm-hmm. Get Offset, Emily was there. You and some other people I've never met before. So it was um, that was kind of really my first foray into uh, kind of breaking outside of the circle of just pedal people. You know, yeah, it's but. it's an interesting world. Uh, the the entire gear world, the podcasters, the gear makers, the um, musicians. Uh, I've been really lucky to get a lot of musicians on here as well. Um, but that was my first experience with your pedals, and mm-hmm. so since then, I've been looking at the stuff you've been putting on uh, Instagram. And Grant and I were just talking about it. He had me on his show, talk about pedals, his Instagram live show, and. We were talking about your design aesthetic, and we're going to get there. I want to hold off before we get there. So <laughs> okay. what I want to hear first is let's give your story so that listeners can get an idea of who you are, what you do. How'd you get into playing guitar? How'd you get into making pedals? The 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 con- Reader's Digest version sure. of your story in the gear world. Well, um, I'll start off as early as I can remember. So uh, in, in fifth grade, I joined, or I tried out for a marching band. Um, and I ended up being on the drum line and the drum line is something that I've, I've done for basically ever since until I graduated high school. So that was my first real introduction to actually playing music, being around music. Um, you know, as a drummer, we always play to a lot of metronomes for rehearsals and everything like that. And I really locked in a lot of things there as far as like musicianship to some degree, but I never really got behind a drum kit until, you know, my early twenties, um, and starting to listen to music and, you know, get going to college and making friends and everything, I joined a band and I was playing drums. I'm, I'm primarily a drummer. I should probably just say that straight away. Sure. Um, but it wasn't until, um, you know, I was probably, I picked up a guitar in high school, you know, I was probably like 17 or 18 and I picked up a guitar. And, you know, just through listening to a bunch of different types of music, you find your way of figuring out what your style is and how you want to play. And, and it wasn't until I, Many years later, whenever I finally went to a studio and tried to record a song that I had written, uh, at the time I was pretty much using just reverb. I was kind of more, that's all I really had, a reverb and a phaser, I think, at the time. It was a EHX Cathedral and a MXR Phase 90. That's all I had. Oh, nice. And so I went to the studio and I recorded the song, and I I think for like the chorus or whatever, the, the engineer, Rick Nelson, who I'm sure we'll touch back on later on, he was like, Hey man, this, this really needs like a, a gritty aspect to it. And I was like, okay, I'll give it a try. And he put on like a, a DOD fuzz of some sort. And I really was like, man, that really did add like a lot of cool grittiness to this very simple part. So I, that was my first real introduction to what pedals can do or what tone can do in this far of, in the sense of, you know, dirt, adding dirt to your tone. And so mm-hmm. I kind of went down the rabbit hole about that point. This was probably 2013, I think, where I started really researching forums and how to build a fuzz pedal. And, you know, and at the time I was also professionally working in music production and stuff like that. So I was already doing like a lot of, uh, you know, just technical repairs and just technical gear setups. So I had that mind frame or that mindset of building and fixing things or, you know, creating something. Um, and that's kind of where I started. 2013 was the first time I really dove into buying parts and buying, you know, doing a bunch of research and building my first fuzz pedal. So that's, that's pretty much it, you know? Yeah. Been doing it ever since. So yeah, you're originally from Louisiana, living mm-hmm. in Nashville now. Mm-hmm. How, how'd you get from Louisiana to Nashville? Okay. So this song, this story is very depressing for me. Oh no. Yeah. Uh, it's good though. And, and so basically up until this point, 2019, um, like I was touring professionally as a backline tech for a couple bands in town or not in town, but just bands. Um, and I just come off of a really huge tour in 2019. I was like really, uh, you know, I, I was financially stable finally in a way that I'd never been before. 
And uh, I had another opportunity right after that, uh, like early 2020, to actually play drums for an artist that I've also toured with as a backline tech in the past before this. Like from 2014 to 2018, I worked with this artist as a lighting designer and a drum tech. And uh, we became friends over the years. And this album cycle was a little lower budget. And, you know, he, he I think he pegged me because he can afford me, honestly. And I've never toured, <laughs> toured professionally as a drummer before. So it was a good fit. And he's a good friend. And I was happy to do it. So my landlord actually in New Orleans had to kick me out by like February 1st because they were renovating the house anyway. So they're like, hey, we're going to, you know, make this way cooler and rent it for a lot more money. And we're kicking you out. So I put all my stuff in storage. And I was like, okay, this is fun and unique. Uh, you know, I was like, I put all my stuff in storage. It's pretty scary. I don't have an apartment, but I'm going to go on tour and play drums. And then when I'll come back, I'll sort it out. And I had already kind of had Nashville in the back of my mind because of the band I worked for in 2019. I, it was pretty Nashville center, uh, Nashville based. And I met a lot of friends here. A lot of crew members were here. So I figured if I was going to move anywhere after the tour, it would be Nashville because I have friends already um and then there's also obviously the music scene and the gear scene and i figured you know it's just kind of i've ran i've ran my course in new orleans at the time and so uh covid happens obviously and all the tours all the tours were canceled everything was canceled i don't have an apartment all my stuff's in storage and i'm just staying at a friend's house to see if this all kind of blows over because people were saying that it would you know in two months or whatever and so the tour was still booked. It was still booked. It was still booked. And it, it just pushed so far back to where they finally were just canceled it all. And everything was just canceled. And so I was like, shit, man, like all my stuff's in storage. I can't stay at my friend's house forever. You know, I was already staying there for like two and a half months or something. And so I just moved. And then when I got here, I didn't work again for another eight months. It was, um, oh wow, yeah, that was a tough time uh, being here and not able to really go out with friends or go out anywhere and, everybody was kind of hunkered down and that was definitely a challenging time mentally for me, you know, moving to a new place and feeling eager to go out and explore, but also can't. And then friends are all over the place. And so that was pretty tough, but, um, you know, I mean, I've, I've been living in Nashville now for about two and a half years. Um, and it's slowly getting better. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported in part by String Joy Strings. I'm a snob, at least that's what people tell me. I'm never okay with good enough, and that's where String Joy Strings come in. They're better than good enough. They're the best. String Joy are making some of the finest strings available today right up the road from me in Nashville, Tennessee. They offer custom sets, balanced tension, coated strings, the works. If you need it, they can probably make it happen. You should be using Stringjoy Strings, and if you're going to order from them, you really could help this podcast out by clicking the affiliate link down in the description or show notes below. You get amazing strings, I get a little bit of that back to help the show keep going. It's a win-win situation. Get your Stringjoy Strings today. Yeah, uh, and I can actually really, really relate, because where I live now, I moved here in February of 2020, and so you know, had a good solid six weeks before the bottom fell out, so to speak. Yeah. Um, of being able to meet people, being able to go do things. Um, so you're, you're in Nashville now, which it's everyone. If you don't already know, I'm sure most of the listeners here, they realize Nashville's more than a country town. Like I realize that country is like the big draw for Nashville. Mm -hmm. But when I lived in Murfreesboro, the, the, the other music that is in Nashville is incredible. There's, there's, if you think of the genre, there's a muse, there's representation in Nashville for it. Yeah, I would uh, agree. I don't, um, unfo- I mean, it's, it's, it is, it is pretty wide ranging, I will say, but country still takes the cake. Oh yeah. Uh, it's, uh, that's obviously the driving force for, uh, right. for what's happening in Nashville. That's the biggest thing. Um, so you get to Nashville you're, you're, you're living, you're, so you're making these pedals now, and the thing that drew me to your pedals was you have, like, the coolest aesthetic to your pedals. Mm-hmm. There's, 
especially I, I think now it's even a little different than, and so it's been a while since I've seen one in person because I'm going based on a lot of pictures for some of this. Um, but like the color schemes, the artwork is incredible. The, the, um, the, the actual texture of the tops is not just like painted metal. It's, it's holographic, almost like that plushy. I, I don't know what to call that stuff. I have no yeah, idea. It's, uh, it's some, it's basically plastic. Yeah. Uh, but in a, in a, I actually don't know the actual material that it's made of. It's some kind of fancy word that they've written on there. Um, sure. But I'll say it's um I I got I reached out to a company called Dome Tag out of Salt Lake City. Um, okay, that's kind of how this whole thing started rolling. So for the longest time, I did all my own graphics, I did all my own artwork, I did all my own management of Instagram, and you know there was just a there was a stalemate at some point. Um and. I ended up reaching out with a, to a friend who I reconnected with. Like we were friends back in early twenties when we played music together, and then I moved to New Orleans, and we just haven't spoken for a while. But then I saw he started doing a bunch of. Uh, he was running his own podcast, and he was doing some like marketing materials for other people and companies. He was doing some uh, graphic design work, and I reached out to him, and I was thinking to myself, you know, this would be a perfect opportunity for me to just take that leap of faith and you know, really invest in retroactive and start paying somebody. And, you know, even though I don't really necessarily always have the money to do that, um, yeah. I was like, and so I started collaborating with, with my friend, Tyler Blanchard, who is responsible for all of the artwork that you see and all the graphic design. And now he's also managing the Instagram and all of my other social platforms. But yeah, it, the way it all started was I, I essentially just created a mood board on Pinterest, actually just inspired by like my, retroactive sort of or my retro uh inspired movies like you know fifth element blade runner escape from new york demolition man you know just stuff like that that i watched as a kid growing up that even though it's like futuristic it's still old because it was it came out in like 82 or 80 whatever so it's like there's this interesting cross between futurism and you know 80s retro kind of stuff because that's when those movies came out and so i just basically created this huge mood board and i sent it over to him and i was like look this is what i have to do to get my idea across and uh i was like kind of just come up with whatever you can in this realm and he knocked it out of the park and so uh going back to dome tag i i was kind of looking through some elements of face plates i didn't want to do uh the normal plastic or metal with the screws or the you know, so I looked into it and, and they, they usually make stickers for big, big brands. And I ordered a sample pack from them and it looked cool. They had a bunch of different options. And whenever I saw the holographic, I mean, my mind started just going crazy. So I started working with my graphics guy, talking to the uh, customer service person at Dome Tag, who was just incredible to work with, um, to making sure that like, hey, if we leave out this area of the artwork, can we make sure that the holographic goes through or if we cover it up with the layer and it's actually you know colored what would that look like and we talked it out for a long time and um they were also very i guess uh taken aback in a way because they've never worked with the pedal company by by any means they just make circles or squares they don't really make rectangles right. with circles cut out in the middle so uh it was a big process i had to send them some uh prototype enclosures with like uh, knobs and everything so they can sort of make sure that they figured everything out and uh it came out great i'm really i'm really pleased like very just over the moon about it um you know tyler did a great job and it it finally it finally came together after seeing everything in the packaging and the pedals and just seeing like what my vision for it ended up becoming it just couldn't have been any better so I appreciate no, you saying the, you like it. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, no, they're fantastic looking. Uh, and once you said Blade Runner, I totally got it. Like, oh, I get it now. Like, I didn't make that connection initially, but mm-hmm. the art, the the feel is there. I get it. It's not it's not like derivative or ripoff, but it is like there's a feel yeah, that you get exactly. when you watch that, the old, especially the old one, not so much the new one, the exactly. old Blade Runner, mm-hmm. um, that you... It's that, ah, and that's such a great way to look at it. It's like what the '80s thought the future would look like. Right. So the technology is old now. Sure. <laughs> you know, it's wild. And even elements of like, um, I threw in some like a little 
more comedic stuff like uh you remember the old dick tracy from back in the day the kind of comic book yeah. style dick tracy with the i was just in, incredibly enamored by the villains in that movie where they it was like a guy with a purple suit with a green face and a red hat it was all very color like massive color uh saturation dick tracy yeah. and the artwork was like comic book style and um you know i'm not totally like crazy about comic books but my friend a couple of friends turned me on to this thing called saga I don't know if you ever heard of okay. it, and uh, I no. bought. I mean, I ended up buying all three novels, and like they're pretty big novels, and uh, I just—they're so creative and amazing. So I, I pulled a little bit of inspiration from Saga as well, um, you know. But I wish I can say I was more of a comic book nerd. Uh, I, I like the approach and I like the way it looks, and I love the storyline elements mm-hmm. of of comics. And you know, I obviously grew up, you know, being into like Batman and stuff in the you know early nineties or late 90s even i'm probably gonna go see the new batman tonight actually came yeah, out, i need to came out i need yesterday. to figure out when i'm gonna go see that um i've yeah. heard i've heard really really good things and then i've heard a couple of mild criticisms so i haven't heard anything just bad yet so right uh this episode should come out batman would have released a couple of days when this ep- ago when this episode came out so maybe i've already seen it by the time this comes out yeah, we'll yeah. See. same and you definitely will have seen it it came out um, yesterday i believe so yeah um yeah I probably will have seen it by the time this comes out. So let's talk about the the pedals that you do make. Right now you have four pedals listed on your website. Uh, one says right. NOS. Does that mean you're so, not actively building that one anymore? I, it's just old style. I mean, that's the old diving bell pedal that I've made Like whenever I was actually moving to Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, it's bigger. It just has a couple more features on it that the new one doesn't have. I kind of ripped some stuff out that I wasn't totally pleased with overall at like when I started playing with it more and more. Because the whole point of doing the line in this aesthetic was to sort of uh, merge everything into the the 125B with the same exact knob layouts and the knob um, quantities and and stuff like that to make everything just kind of super streamlined. So those are just sure. like those are just some, some that I still have in stock that still look great and sound the same. There's just a couple more features in there that I I ripped out for the new ones. So I kind of have them on gotcha. there at a discounted price just to get them out of my hair and clear some space on the shelf, but. Yeah, the line is now just the three, um, the three one twenty five B looking ones. Yeah, and it's and it's worth noting. Uh, it's funny because I, you know, I talked to I had Mike from Native Audio, mm-hmm. uh, Nate on the podcast a while back, and like him, you don't have a traditional drive pedal in your current three pedal lineup. You're you've you've really leaned heavy on delay and ambient sounds and textures and stuff like that and right. and you started out uh we should get into this you started out with uh honestly the harder side of pedals to get into you didn't like release a three knob drive you mm-hmm. released things that required you know uh programming coding you know working out of a circuit a pretty complex circuit uh so what was that like to make that decision to put out you know a more complex pedal as your first pedals well um I will start off in saying that none of my pedals actually have DSP in them. Uh, I oh, want, really? I, yeah, I want to get into DSP, and that's kind of like a whole another story with me enrolling in Nashville Software School during the pandemic and in the data analytics data analytics program, and we did a lot of SQL Python coding and blah blah blah, uh, which we I think we talked about before, but I'll maybe get that yeah. to, to that later. My pedals. Okay, to answer your question, I didn't want to go straight up with a drive or something because even though that's what I cut my teeth on, because that's what I built yeah. in learning how to solder, et cetera. Um, the market is obviously just saturated in general, but especially with overdrive and fuzz pedals. So I, I figured if I wanted to get anybody's attention, I really had to come out with something that was just, just unique enough or just a little wacky enough to where people would say, Oh, that's something worth checking out. Maybe, you know, yeah. So it's um, different. Yeah. I mean, and I'll be the first to say, you know, like the dot chaser is not some kind of revolutionary pedal, you know I mean? In the land of clones and stuff, it's like, I, I'm enamored with, um, especially in the DIY scene when I first started coming up, it's uh mid fire electronics and Doug Tuttle's music and his pedals. I mean, that guy is a super creative, uh, genius almost in my opinion. I, I really looked up to him as a musician and a builder early on and so the dot chaser is my um homage essentially to his uh clarinet pedal but i changed a lot of stuff on it um 
But when people on the forums and or even in that book, The Pedal Crush or whatever, whenever they talk about the Clarinot pedal and the Dot Chaser, they always kind of group them together because they're they're derivative of one another or my pedal is a derivative of his pedal, you know. Um, sure. So that's that's what it is. Um, I did a bunch of tweaks and I just that pedal it turned out to be something that for me, man, I use it all the time because it's just the right amount of grit because overdrive is my favorite effect too, you know, but it's just the right amount of grit that you, you need. And that's why I also love the PT chip. And that's kind of the other side of what I was going to say about, even though my pedals aren't DSP as far as like me coding them or whatever, the, the PT chip is a digital chip because there is some analog to digital conversion in there. Sure. Also some storage of Ram and whatnot for the delay sound. So People, some people do say that's an analog chip, but it's really not. It just sounds analog, and that's why people use it because I think it has some analog characteristics because it's so dirty and gritty, um, and it really breaks up towards uh, the longer repeat times. But that's why I like it. It's I like stuff that sounds kind of bad. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying my pedals sound bad by any means, but you no, know, no. if you're if you're putting it up to a pristine you know, Strymon pedal or something. There's no way my pedal will do what Strymon pedal does, but my pedal definitely has its own um, use in, in certain types of music and certain applications that I've found to be really useful. Um, I, it's sort of know. like, uh, in the way, at least the, the description, it's sort of like to, to hopefully not insult with a comparison, mm-hmm. it reminds me of the same idea of the Caroline effects, the, the lo-fi reverbs and lo-fi delays that he puts out. It's, it's meant to sound bad, but it's a good sound you want. Like yeah. you want this lower fi sort of grittiness out of it. Um, Cause honestly, I think we're all a little tired of pristine. Pristine is kind of boring. Uh, For me, it absolutely know. is. I mean, I, the, the type of music I play and the styles of music I play in my guitar style in general, it doesn't really warrant the use of, you know, a pristine, uh, reverb or a delay or something you know uh even though i do have uh well i had one i kind of recently just got rid of it but um i think the word lo-fi is um used i'm not going to say it's overused but it's a good it's a good way for people to just throw in a word to sell something you know it's like oh this is a lo-fi this or lo-fi that right i'm not really sure if it's lo-fi necessarily uh i i definitely do call it that because the chip itself is it is a degrading chip but that's why when i use it i kind of push the limits of it to give it as much kind of grit and distortion as you can pull from the chip without over overblowing it in a way that kind of does give you that degraded sound i mean it 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 does have some sort of element of of lo-fi to it but i i try not to throw around buzzwords as much as i can just because nobody wants to hear that over and over again just these buzzwords where it's like marketing and all this stuff but yeah. sometimes you got to do it yeah sometimes sometimes you got to use the terms everybody's used to i went on a not a, not a big tirade but I, I mentioned something in my the facebook group for the podcast how i'm tired of hearing the phrase plays like butter that's disgusting please <laughs> stop using that phrase it's a terrible phrase plays like butter. Uh, i love, yeah. I love or butter. I, yeah me too i love i love butter too but i don't want to hold it in my hands um, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> That's a thing. Um, but it's, you know, we hear all these words, lo-fi or bell-like or what's another one? We won't even go down the transparent route mm. um, when it comes to overdrives. Right. Um, I, I've played one truly transparent overdrive in my entire life. And uh, yeah, um, all of them do something. But so let's talk about the the three pedals you do have because I so for the listeners that aren't already aware of your pedals, I think it's important we cover them because they are super interesting, and uh, I'm going to end up getting one at some point, at least one, if not all three. Wow, um, you know, as finances uh, allow. Mm-hmm. But um, we'll start with the Dot Chaser since you already mentioned it. Mm-hmm. It is a uh, and you mentioned the grit. It's, so it's a tape saturation, or at least the website says tape, tape saturation emulator mm-hmm. with subtle to extreme modulation. Mm-hmm. So it's the idea of getting that grittiness that you would get from a tape. Because 
you know, we were talking about not being perfect. I have a tape delay, and yeah. I love that thing. I like it because it's not perfect. Mm-hmm. It makes noise. It gets a little gritty. Sometimes I'm playing, and if I'm quiet, I hear the faintest sound of stuff that tape had recorded previously. Right. Just out of nowhere, you know? It's imperfect, and that is the fun part of it. So for those that don't have a tape delay or who are aren't insane like me and don't want to keep the maintenance on a tape delay it's hard um it's you know you add this in conjunction with a delay pedal suddenly you get some of those quirkiness some of that um i don't know it's wild i i love those sounds and you've got some clips on instagram obviously i've listened to um so um that one we've already talked about so i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna pass back by that one so we talked about the diving bell that's the one that you um have shrunk into the the smaller enclosure now. Yeah. You have the new old stock on the website. Yeah. So delay echo with faux pitch bending. Mm-hmm. Talk about the faux pitch bending. So essentially what that is what what's what's happening there is there's a momentary switch that when you press it down, you mm-hmm. are changing the delay speed instantaneously on a momentary switch. So I, as you know as speed decreases or increases so does the pitch in a way you know yes so when you press the switch down it it does go down in pitch but it also gives you kind of like this fake pitch bending you know that's the only way i can really put it um yeah and it it's it's sort of the same sound as when you would play an analog delay and hold a note and just turn the time knob real fast sure but it doesn't do it in that cool ramping way it's hard to like if you were to be playing and then turn the actual delay knob down you'll have that kind of kind of sound you know what i mean the like actual the the switch doesn't really do that it it works in a different way that i can't really describe it just instantly goes down to a set speed and then ramps back up to a the speed it was at however there is yeah there's um it just there's like some kind of blooming weird kind of notes pitchy stuff that happens with it um which, which is cool because it doesn't affect your dry signal obviously at all it's just part of your your wet sound so when you're playing your guitar it will you're, you'll always hear your dry but there's always just these weird kind of notes that are fluttering around and i will say unfortunately of all the demos that are out there um, a lot of demoers will use a tabletop kind of performance where it's really hard to capture what that switch can actually do when you're strumming and then as you're not playing you're pressing the switch down and then releasing it and then strumming again it really is like you kind of have to be playing and use your foot in a weird way to where you're kind of really getting that reaction out of it. Um, but it's super fun and super cool. I mean, it sounds great on um, synth loops and stuff, and you press it down, and it kind of has this. It just is is a way to add a little flair to your sound. It's not just like a a straight up delay pedal. That's and that's what I try to do in a lot of my pedals is just throw one thing in there that's a little wacky to where it's not just a run-of-the-mill you name it it's um that so that was kind of the feature and then going back to the new old stock thing on the old one i did try to put a volume swell in there so there was another momentary switch where when you press it your signal is essentially being grounded and there was another pot on there that um when you turn it that's the regeneration of your sound Uh, and you can you can choose like how slow or how fast that sound gets regenerated in and uh, the more I played with it, the more I was just like, just use your guitar or use a volume pedal. It's, <laughs> it, it's better. So I, that's what I ripped out of this circuit. And whenever I put it in the 125B, I kind of was able to kind of cut down on parts and uh, part of the circuit that I truly ended up hating. So, Sure. No, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah and, and that's the thing about, especially in today's, like we talked about the saturated market, the pedal market is so incredibly saturated with everything. Yeah. There's so much that that unique feature of the uh, momentary pitch shifting that hits with the time or faux pitch bending. We'll, right. talk, we'll call it faux because it's not truly bending the pitch. Exactly. Um, exactly. It's just messing with time. Um, that that kind of feature, it's so cool because now, so. Let's look back and the music that was being created in like the 90s, right? Mm-hmm. You know, which is when I, you know, I started playing guitar in the late 90s, uh, really started to cut my teeth in the early 2000s. The music being made then, it was very much, you know, even like the more creative guitar players in popular bands. Like I think about someone like Mike Einziger with uh, Incubus, right? 
or, or obviously we can hmm. talk about Radiohead and the stuff they were doing. The stuff they were doing was finding a way, in a lot of ways, using just regular stuff that was available in creative ways. Right. So where, um, I'm going to try to find a, a great example. Uh, I think it was uh, Greenwood with Radiohead was using the um, uh, envelope filter, the DoD envelope filter. Mm-hmm. Right. I think it was. I don't think it was Ed Ed O'Brien that was using it. I think it was Greenwood. Um, anyway, you could do you could get the DoD and do that, or you could probably use any other envelope filter, sure, and get pretty close to that, right? Right. But now there's so many pedal companies carving out their niche and what they do, like what your diving bell does. Mm-hmm. That's there's not a lot of other pedals that could replicate that, right? Or do replicate that. Suddenly, it's like, oh, this is the sound that of my guitar playing is this effect pedal, right? You know what I mean? It's so that's how I think that's the interesting thing is that's how people are starting to carve out their place in the pedal market. Is they're creating stuff that can be the defining feature of a guitar player's style. I totally agree. I mean, the the reason why I built the diving bell was because I so uh, some of my pedals are obviously influenced by certain sounds that I'm inspired by or bands that I'm inspired by. Sure. Um, I was going through a big deer hunter phase. I'm not sure if you're a deer hunter fan or ever heard of deer hunter. I'm I'm not a huge fan. I, I say I'm not a huge fan in that I haven't listened to a ton of their music. Yeah. I'm aware of them. Yeah, I went through a phase where I thought that they were just a, you know very they're they're extremely creative band and a lot of their tones are really just incredible the way they use certain sounds and just loops and, or, you know, samples or whatever. And just the guitar style, it's simple, but it's always doing something that's filling the perfect gap. Um, but I built that, that delay pedal, the diving bell, basically around that sound where it's, I wanted it to be as versatile as you could possibly make it where if you, cause I love slapback tones, like even the country chicken picking style sounds uh-huh. incredible. But I just don't use it that way because that's not my playing style and that's not the style of music I play. But if you use it in a different context, like this kind of like indie rock deer hunter element, um, it has its it has its place and it sounds incredible. Um, but I also had it to where it's almost like just a, it's not a reverb, obviously. But if you turn the feedback up to just almost self oscillation and you get the mix just right, um, there's just this crazy oscillating looming echo that just hovers above your tone and it never goes into oscillation and it never just lives underneath where it's not always there it's just a ominous sound and you can use it for something way spacier you know or or you can turn turn the mix down and use it as that slapback sound so i wanted something that was covering all of the spectrum where you can do the slapback thing super dry super quick or you can have this insane, just looming sound over your over your signal that never goes away, uh, and it, it was incredible. I mean, whenever I built it and it worked, I was like, I can't believe it. It sounds it sounds it sounds <laughs> good, but you know, for a acu- like I do a lot of finger picking on acoustic, and um, even playing that on acoustic with that looming sound, it it's it sounded great. You didn't need a reverb for it. It just kind of was there, and you know. So oh, that's a cool thing. I hadn't even thought about that with with acoustic playing, just to give it like that fullness and that body and that extra like I don't know. It's it it widens the depth of right. what you're doing a whole lot. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, it doesn't have tap tempo, so you can't really do the U two thing. Yeah, but I that's fine. I've never, There's a lot of people out there doing that. I just that that was the thing that. I, I strayed away from using delay pedals for the longest time because I didn't, my playing style just didn't warrant me using a delay that had such hard repeats and like very determined notes just trickling over my notes. I, I was, uh, I, so I always gravitated more towards, you know, the 30 millisecond thing and the kind of doubler effect and the slapback tones, um, or just, crank the feedback and kind of use it as more of like an echo machine kind of thing. I've never same here. That's why I use a a tape delay. Um, One that's the, that's my favorite delay sound. I like that, that, that slight dirtiness, that, that little bit of warble, you know, depending on the age of the tape, Uh, the tape I've got in, it's too new. I'm waiting for it to get a little older. So I played a lot, but um, 
I like that little bit of texture that it adds, but I don't care about lining it up in time with the music I play because I don't play that music. Exactly. It's it's because I'm never one. I'm never going to crank the mix so high that it is the same volume as my initial guitar mm-hmm. sound. And if you are, yeah, you might worry more about being in time. But it's it's always that subtle layer underneath my underneath my playing. Of course. Like even at its longest time, uh, multiple you know multiple repeats. It's just a it's a texture. It's not as much. You shouldn't be hearing it as a note. You should be hearing it as just a vibe or a you know just an ambience underneath the playing. I totally agree. Uh, my, one of my favorite things to do with a delay is, um, and you probably can't do this with many. Uh, I have a TC Electronic Flashback um, that I've been having for a long time. But one of the settings, if you turn the mix, I think it's the mix. It's definitely the delay time and the feedback down. It's almost mm-hmm. like a. It almost turns into a chorus pedal. Um, I just, I just yeah. get a lot of versatility out of delays. Um, and I, I have the Mag Echo by Keeley as well that has the modulation built into it as well. Um, mm-hmm. But just, I love that sound, the doubling effect that, or that old studio trick that people used to try to do with the doubling and all that. I, I just think that sounds incredible. It, and it really adds something to the sound. It's okay. So it's weird the way in my head, like. That sound, that doubling, like t- it feels like this makes no sense whatsoever. But it, like, I have a visual of what that sound looks like. Mm-hmm. This is this is weird. I don't normally visualize things like this, but it's like if your amp were at the other end of a small concrete tunnel, mm-hmm. and that's what it feels like. It that makes no sense. Physics don't work there. That that's not how that works. But in my head, like I hear that sound, and I feel like the amp is down a concrete tunnel right. somewhere. And it's this cool, cool thing. And if you're doubled the right way, it gives you just that little bit of extra push, uh, especially in a solo section uh, where you're a little more, little more present in the mix without a lot more volume. Right. It's it's just such a cool thing. The my tape doesn't quite get slow enough to really get into chorus, mm-hmm. but I do like that. And of course, if you can get slow enough, you can get down into flanger territory as well. Right. If you can get not slow enough, fast enough, if you can get that delay fast enough. Um. When I was so I I went to college for music and audio engineering, and in my audio engineering course, we had a fantastic professor named Mike Acapelli. He used to run front of house for Aretha Franklin. Dang. Uh, he's an electrical engineer, uh, uh, organ player, uh, keys player. Sure. Um, but the first time he opened up a session in Pro Tools and showed us, okay, here's what happens. Here's what flanger and chorus are. Mm-hmm. And he took a delayed signal and just started moving the delay around and showing us where those things happen and where it begins. And it blew my mind. What It's all time-based. It's all time. It's That's how you can do this. Um, and so it's really cool to be able to do that in a, in a pedal. Uh, do you know how fast your signal gets in that in that pedal? Uh, no. I, I want to <laughs> say, I, okay. I do know that it's it's written down somewhere. The chip is only capable of so many milliseconds. Uh, gotcha. like in the quickest setting uh, it's it's pretty low but it's not incredibly low like it's definitely not somewhere in the 30 I've, so on a digital pedal I found mm-hmm. that like 70 milliseconds is like what I where my sweet spot is for that mm-hmm. sound that I like but you know Keely makes the 30 millisecond one and I think uh, 30 is pretty pretty damn low or pretty fast you know what I mean for a doubling yeah, or really a cho- chorus sound or whatever um, I don't. I honestly don't know what the PT chip is capable of doing at its minimal uh, without the data sheet. But I did answer this question actually for a, a, a customer once. I just don't remember off the top of my head. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. No, I I, I would have been uh, I would have been surprised if you actually just knew off the top of your head. To be really honest, yeah. I and I love what you said cooler. earlier. Yeah, <laughs> I love what you said earlier about though when you put it together and you're like, and it worked, and I was surprised. <laughs> um, it's sort of like as someone getting into computer programming, you'll understand there's like a meme that goes around mm-hmm. and it's uh, a guy, you know, frustrated looking at a computer screen and he says, my code doesn't work and I don't know why. And then it's the same picture and it says my code works and I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally true. It's um, totally true. Yeah, yeah, for coding. Absolutely. I mean, I've I did a like I said, I was doing that six month course and there was a lot of times where it things did work and I was 
just like, okay, whatever. It works. I'm just going to go for it. <laughs> but with pedals, yeah. it's different. You know, pedals, there's definitely been a lot of times where I built something and it worked. And I wasn't understanding of the circuit 100%. But the more you mm-hmm. build and the more you read and the more you research and the more you read up on other things, you know, it, it slowly starts to come together where you look at a schematic and you're like, okay. And it's the same thing with coding too. It's like, I can look at a piece of code, like, especially with my new job right now, the job that I just started three weeks ago, I look at this code and like, I, I don't know what's actually happening. It's referencing databases and tables that I'm just not experienced enough with yet in the job. So I'm like, I know where I need to plug this in to make it work. But if I had to read this in a, like in a, in a one line kind of situation, it's hard. Uh-huh. It's hard to pick out what's actually happening. And it's the same thing when you look at a schematic. When I first started building, I was like, what the hell is this? Uh, I know <laughs> what the symbols look like. And I know that means it's connecting here and here and here. But, you know, when you start doing some more research and reading and you start building more and more, you're like, okay, this is the pull down resistor. This is the op amp for the input, or this is the buffer. These are the two things that make the gain happen. And, when you know this is the tone section or this is this and you know the more you mess with it the more it, it makes more sense you know what i mean so yeah when i first built that pedal that the the, the delay was the biggest uh circuit i think i've taken on at the time so whenever mm-hmm. it worked and especially because like i my setup was still pretty small at the time too so you know i had like the smallest breadboard cramming all this junk on there and when it started working, I was just incre- like, I was amazed because there's sometimes, you know, and every other builder will probably attest to the same thing. You know, you, you're like, I'm just going to build a LPB1 booster for fun today, you know, and you're like, I'll right. break out eight breadboards for no reason. And you like build it and it doesn't work. And you're like, okay, am I just incompetent or am I losing my mind here because I can't make this like one transistor boost pedal work? <laughs> it's crazy how it works sometimes and like some and you know some i buy a lot of breadboards sometimes like i'll use my multimeter and just some traces are broken all of a sudden or so the the breadboarding process is obviously you just never know what you're gonna get it's crazy and so like yeah. even now like i'll try to build something super simple and it something's weird and i'll check my breadboard and then like the next day i'll come back try it again and it just totally works and it's probably user error, obviously, but you know that's why when yeah. I built the delay on the small breadboard early on when it worked, I was just I could not believe it. Well, it's it's one of those things where it's really easy when you start every part you add exponentially raises the number of places you could have messed up. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, it's like what what is um I'm going to call out Kyle, one of my patron uh, patrons of the podcast. Yeah. Uh, decided to get an amp kit, and he didn't get an amp kit. He's he's actually an electrical engineer. Nice. Um, I think that's right. I think that's a, technically his title, electrical engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, he'll correct me if I'm wrong. He'll message me. It's fine. Um, and he built the amp. He ordered the parts. You know, he he got the schematic because he can read and he you know read schematics. <laughs> he ordered all the parts, put it together, um, and then it didn't work. And he was like, "What the hell?" Right. And so. He looked at it and he just put a resistor in backwards, just one, and suddenly flipped it, and it worked. Huh? It burnt one out, but I didn't. Uh, I once he got he put, the right one, because resistors don't have huh? a resistors don't have polarity, so he might have. It may have been a capacitor. capacitor, probably. Yeah, it might have been a capacitor, but you know, he had one part flipped backwards, mm-hmm. and it didn't. So it didn't work. And he he messaged me as like, I have literally lectured classes on this, right? And then I did it. You know, it's sure. like you can be as good or professional at, or as. It's so you easy know, to make mistakes. Knowledgeable. So easy. so easy to make a simple mistake. Yeah, extremely. I mean, I couldn't tell you how many times, you know, when you're designing the circuit board itself, you know, just something super simple like that. And, you know, it just sucks because obviously at that point it costs you money, you know. But when money's on the line, right. I try to really hone in on, you know, concentration. But, you know. Also, just even without that, when you when you're first starting out and you um, learning a new program, you know you're learning a PCB design program, so you're bound to make mistakes. So I've made a ton, and uh, yeah. I still do. But I, I've <laughs> thankfully have been persistent enough to know where my mistakes have led me to check and you know make sure it's all correct and. So I've come a long way, man. It's it's insane. I I actually looked the other day. I have a 
little storage bin of all these like random PCBs that still work, but I'm just not using them or whatever. And it was, yeah. it was actually now they're on the delay subject still. It was a, a PCB that I had designed the very first run. And this was before I was good at designing uh, circuit boards. And the lines are just crazy. They're like like zigzags and Zs and just like loops and all this stuff. <laughs> and at the time, I was like, hell yeah, it works. So like whatever. And then I started seeing like real, <clears throat> excuse me, I started seeing like real gut shots of like really good pedals. And I was like, whoa. I was like, I can't sell pedals that look like this. If people open this up, they right. think I'm a crazy person. And so I, I really like just, I built a bunch of just random useless circuit boards like for myself just to practice my routing and practice. And now my, now I know how to do it and I know how to make them look nice. So all my stuff is thankfully like really nicely. Um, all the traces are, you know, got the right angles and all the stuff, not right angles for people who are judging. Cause you're not technically supposed to make a right angle on a PCB, right. but I mean, you the know, correct the correct angles. angles. <laughs> they want people to get confused. Yeah, yeah, no, and that that would be me. I would be the one getting confused. Yeah, I'll but, send you a picture of uh, it. Like I have one. I'll have. I'll send you a picture of the the first board I ever made. Hopefully, uh-huh. I think I have one lying around that still doesn't have parts on it because without the parts, you can really see how crappy it was. Um, yeah, you can see how it, it just looks like a a bad maze. And you know, and uh. something like that is also what really term because like people are like, oh, uh, you know. PCB design, things have to be just right, or you can't do the right angles, and your capacitors have to be as close to the chips as possible. Man, like the pedal that I built that was wired or that was routed, just like a you know crazy person did it. And the one mm-hmm. that I have now that I'm extremely proud of and has surface mount parts and everything's like they sound exactly the same. Um, yeah, you know they sound the same. So that's why I've learned to not really be that much of a purist when it comes to just gear in general or tone or whatever. I'm like, you know, it's like what you said with the DOD thing, you know, like with the envelope filter. And that's half the reason why I don't have like a crazy bunch of expensive pedals. Cause I, I can get close enough to satiate my need to continue to just create instead of sitting there on the floor for 40 minutes, trying to tweak my tone or whatever, you know, I'm like, okay, this is what I have in my mind. This is definitely close enough let's record right. it let's record it and just move on you know and that's kind of the the approach i take for a lot of stuff in general it's just i don't i try not to be a perfectionist or i try not to be a purist about stuff just because it's it takes away from the fun of wanting to just take on what you wanted to do to begin with you know what i mean you, you know that's ultimately why i moved away from things like cuz i i used for a little while the a helix rig mm-hmm. And I used it for some gigs, especially like musicals and and other stuff. And my podcast listeners have heard me talk enough about church and musical and you know show choir gigs and stuff like sure. that. But the thing I don't like about it is it's made for those people that really want to do that mm-hmm. and like really replicate the sound of this record or replicate the this tone of this guitar player. And I've always been a big like the way I play. I want to capture the vibe. If I'm doing a cover, which a lot of my gigs are covers, mm-hmm. that's fine. Um, I'm primarily a blues player, but that doesn't mean that's the only thing I play or the only thing I know how to play. I've played in a lot of mm-hmm. you know, function bands and wedding bands and stuff like that. I don't bother trying to replicate perfectly that sound. Get the vibe and enjoy doing it. And if you're playing, and let's say you're close to that tone, but it's not fun or it's not hitting, and you decide to do it completely differently... Right. Add a add a flanger on this part that never had a flanger, or do just something different. I can do it. I can reach down to my pedal board, turn a knob, turn you know, kick it on, right. and I'm going. I don't like the idea of, you know, if I get a wild hair at a gig, I've got to go through three menus to change the settings. Sure. And that's why I I, I like pedals and I like real amps because I'm not a perfectionist like that. I do have a lot of pedals, not a lot compared to some people. And I don't mean just Josh Scott. I mean just in general. Yeah, that's but his collection's next. Yeah, his next he's level. ridiculous. Honestly, it was, it's, it would stress me out to have that many pedals. <laughs> I know for him it makes as, sense because he's a collector and like a historian and like it's right. it's like a museum that he essentially has. For me, yeah, you know, like absolutely. Yeah, for me, I just get. I don't have. I mean, I have a lot of pedals, but I don't have like a absurd amount. But you know, I I flip a lot of pedals or just like sell a bunch of pedals to get something that I'm I'm interested in or try something new because it just stresses me out if I 
see a bunch of gear on my shelf that's never being used and you know i just feel like such a waster and i just yeah that it just kind of stresses me out to have too many pedals that i'm not using at all yeah i've had i've had friends who um get on to me about the gear flipping that i do and going through a lot of gear because i do i go through a lot of gear Mm -hmm. always have um ever since i started playing guitar but that's because i want to try everything but i can't afford to have everything at the same time so uh, unfortunately, like the the shelf behind me, how do I point? Okay, yeah. Um, a lot of that stuff is like pedals by friends of mine at this point. Is that a, you know what I mean? Is that a mini like, gong. I, I that is I a mini can't, gong. I can't see that. I've had. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, That's cool. What I got that. So I was I was in the mid two thousands. I was dating this girl, who um, really really wanted a hermit crab. Wow. And so we went to this shop in, I can't remember where we was were, it called, two below. Was it called Mrs. Gumballs by any chance? There, I do not there remember. There was a shop in my, it was kind of like a Spencer's back in the day. It was a shop in my local mall, like in the early 2000s called Gumballs. And they sold like blacklight posters and a bunch of like blacklight stuff and hermit crabs. It was the weirdest thing. This, it might have been. But this was, so this was in either Tupelo or Oxford, Mississippi, I think. Um, but so we went, probably Tupelo. Uh, and probably the mall. So yeah, it might have been the same type store. Yeah, or it's the same exact store, just a chain. But we went in, and they had this like weird deal where like you get a hermit crab, <clears throat> excuse me, <laughs> an enclosure, and like some other stuff, and then you get like fifteen dollars credit in the store for something else. It's right? Same. It's probably the same thing. And yeah. I was like, yeah, I don't see it. I didn't see anything I wanted. Like I was like, oh, there's a gong. I don't know what I'm gonna do with wow. it, but okay, let's get the gong. <laughs> That's so cool. Uh, don't ended up uh, still not still with the girl. Yeah. The hermit crab died, but I've still got the gong. Right. Yeah. That for, that was the so, same thing for me. That store was like that was the cool place to go and kind of browse. We still never like I was so young that we didn't really have money to spend on stuff. But it yeah. was um, the same thing. It's like you either bought a hermit crab, you bought a blacklight poster, a lava lamp, or a Dunkin' Yo Yo. That's like the four things that people went there. Okay, this is absolutely the same store because be. all of those things were in it, this yeah, store. Yeah, it has to be. That's cool because I talked. I try to talk to people about gumballs and nobody knows what I'm talking about. And yeah. I was like, maybe I was like, there's no way the little town that I grew up in has like its own crazy, cool store that nobody's ever heard of. It has to be a regional chain of some sort. Yeah, that is wild. I I, I haven't thought about that story in forever. Yeah. It's just it's just traveled with me. I've had That's it. Cool. 15 years now so, does so it, it's like does it come with its own little mallet i guess oh yeah or you, you can't really you can't really see it mm-hmm. but just underneath it on the stand is the mallet wow. crossbar oh i gotcha that's yeah interesting. so um that's really hard to point behind me in mirror image yeah, this is reverse. not good at this no? yeah it. well it's the right way for me but it feels mirror image when i yeah, do this yeah. it's, it's it's a little hard i don't understand video i'm still not good at this video thing yeah it's wild so i want to touch i want to make sure we cover in the regular episode Mm -hmm. all three of your pedals because i think they're all talking about so let's talk about the validity sensor which i'm just going to read the text on the website digital reverb with frequency divider lfo Mm -hmm. please explain so another beautiful thing about the so here's something that most people probably don't know the belton reverb brick is what i use in there um, but that mm-hmm. is so when people talk about the PT2399 chip, it, which we've talked about about the other two pedals, the Belton Reverb brick yeah. is essentially three of those PT chips in, in I think it's in series actually. I could be wrong about that, but there is three PT chips in the Belton brick. Um, and okay. they make the reverb through the PTs. And that was actually designed, if I'm not mistaken, by Brian Nunember. Um, he's the guy who designed that. Oh. Yeah, he's the guy who designed the Belton chip. So. Oh, cool. Yeah, and, and that. that's why the you know the Belton brick is a digital reverb, as I mentioned before. The PT is a digital chip, so people do get those a little confused. I built the reverb initially in that kind of bigger enclosure that you saw on the website, still with the NOS dot chaser or the Diamond Bell, rather. It's a little bigger. Seventeen ninety NS is technically the model, um, and it was cool. I had a low pass filter in there because I wanted to do some kind of Radiohead stuff with the reverb, so you can you play some reverb and hit a low pass filter and kind of have this like underwater sound. And then you can kind of bring it back in. I also had a dampening bypass momentary switch, um, that I took, uh, took out. So there's a dampening control, but if you hit the momentary switch, you would obviously bypass the whole 
dampening system. So the digital gotcha. reverb was just completely wide open and just uh, it, it kind of had like a modulation element to it. Uh, and then I came across this circuit from this uh, really creative guy on the internet um, called Raw Labs, W-R-A-A Labs. And at the time, I was doing a bunch of research on like CMOS chips because there's a bunch of different stuff you can do with them. And I have a bunch of them that I was just like, what What am I going to do with all of these? And I came across this one chip that is basically what the LFO frequency divider is where you you send a signal into the chip and then out of the chip, it spits different ratios of uh, the division of the pitch frequency LFO thing. So out of the chip comes okay. an LFO, but based on the pitch or the frequency of the note you play, there's a ratio at which the LFO speed is relevant. So like if you hit um, a high E up on the neck, the LFO will go really fast because your frequency is really high. Whereas if you hit like a super low D or something like up on the lower end of the neck, the, uh, the LFO is actually a lot slower because of that frequency response. Um, and within that, uh, chip, there's like, a bunch of different divisions. I just only picked the four most relevant ones that sounded the best. I think there's like six, six okay. or eight that you can choose, but I've only picked the four that sound the best. So you have within each division, uh, you have that kind of frequency response. So when you mix it up with a reverb uh, and use it, it kind of sounds like, I don't know if you know what granular reverb is or what people refer to as yeah. granular, re- granular reverb, but if you turn the, one all the way if you turn the lfo to the highest setting where it's like super fast it just sounds like a sputtery kind of glitchy reverb um but if you turn it kind of slow and then turn the modulation down you kind of get that practical slow moving uh amp style tremolo that i was kind of going for where it's you can you can use it subtly or again you can use it crazily that's kind of like my thing yeah no that sounds awesome so that's a really wild Cause I I when I when I read that description and as you're describing it, I had like three people pop into my head who need this reverb in their life. Yeah, like they're they're those people. Uh, one in particular is a reverb junkie. Uh, Joe, if you're listening to this, you need one of these. Get it, Joe. Uh, just telling you. <laughs> so, um, that's that's so that's what I mean when I say like you didn't just put out a reverb pedal, a delay pedal, and a tape emulation pedal mm-hmm. you put out these really really cool things that you've built these interesting circuits around that i really i, I need to try i need to try them out real bad yeah i'll get i'll get um, you some for sure well yeah definitely uh we'll, we'll work something out because i've got to give them i gotta get, especially because i've tried to be like the ambient reverb guy like i've done mm-hmm. that a little bit especially church gigs they love that they love that thing it's weird. I will um, say if you end but, up, um, we can work something out too. But if you do want to try some out, uh, are you familiar with main stage music there in like East Tennessee or like Chattanooga area? They have a full stock. Um, do they yeah, really? And they're like a, they're a super small company or a super small uh, business, but they have a really cool and active YouTube channel and uh, check out their YouTube channel. Cause they, I sent them all three and they did this really like interesting uh, demo and I was also kind of on the show if you will mm-hmm. um, talking about the pedals as well so check that out and um, I, I was yeah. just saying if you I'm gonna I'm gonna make a note yeah, to check add out. that in the description below their shipping would be pretty fast too but also you and I can work something out I mean I can get you I can oh, yeah. get you something um, easily and quickly I may have I may have to also just because I may have to definitely the the one I'm actually thinking about ordering from you is that NOS, like because I like big inconvenient pedals, yeah. so that's just well. Me. If you want the NOS one, um, I'll just I'll send it to you, no problem, no free of charge. Oh, we'll figure free, something no, out. It's fine. Oh, they're I, they're well, uh, a wash. I'll find something to trade you. I've got I've got a room full of stuff. We'll, we'll make a I'm trade. We'll find I love something. Bartering, so I'll trade you something yeah. for sure. But yeah, those are um, awesome. Those are I'll just give you one of those for sure. Um, let me see. I'm gonna write down pedal demo because. If I don't, I will forget to put this in the description below. Yeah. So, listeners and viewers, it's in the episode description or in the uh, YouTube box down below that I don't even know what to call it, comments or description. Mm-hmm. Um, in the meantime, we're going to get ready to head over to the Patreon episode okay. where this is where I want to hear – we're going to talk about uh, – because I'm really interested because New Orleans is my – 
favorite city. Mm-hmm. It is my favorite city in the U.S. I want to hear some. We're going to talk about New Orleans music scene. I want to talk about some of the uh, the road stories because there's always good road stories uh, for anyone who's been on the road, especially as a tech. When you're not the band, I actually feel like you have better stories yeah. than the band has. Um, um, I've had a couple yeah. couple of techs on the podcast. Cool. Yeah, it's actually, uh, so, uh, whenever you were talking about the DOD uh, Incubus thing, that was actually the last band I toured with before I kind of retired from touring, if you will. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, that is super cool. I actually did not know that. So, yeah, we're going to definitely have a fun time yeah. talking about it's that. It's funny because it came full circle because Mike Trombley was actually at the Dayton, Ohio show that we played, and I didn't see until he posted a story about it. And I was like, shit, man, I wish I would have known you were here because we could have met each other for the first time. Um, you know, I met a lot of people on Instagram through the road, you know, like a lot of pedal people. Um, but we can, yeah. we'll, we could talk about that in the Patreon who I've met and who I've gotten to hang out with, um, through, yeah. through touring. So if you want to hear stories like that, uh, hop over to Patreon, uh, support the podcast, $5 a month, get you all the bonus content. And, uh, yeah, so we're going to move, we're going to take a, a quick little pause and then we're going to move over to the Patreon episode. Trey, thank you for coming on the regular episode. Thank you so much. Uh, listeners, make yep. sure you hit like, subscribe, all those, you know, follow, rate, review. It, You know you know how to do this. Y'all aren't new to this. Do all the social media things. Uh, go to the website, 40wattpodcast.com. That is four zero. Those are numbers. I never, never actually explained that in the podcast before. It's the numbers, not the word. 40wattpodcast.com. Um, but in the meantime, until next week, until we are back, hopefully this is, uh, we're back to regular schedule now. Uh, see y'all next week. Until next time, be good to yourselves, be kind to each other, and make some noise. This episode is brought to you by the supporters of 40 Watt Podcast over on Patreon. Go over to patreon.com slash 40 Watt Podcast, where for as little as $3 per month, you can help support the podcast and get every episode ad-free. For $5 a month, you'll get every episode ad-free as well as a bonus episode every week. I can't overstate how thankful I am for the support of my patrons and hope you'll consider joining the team and helping keep this show on the road.